0: to Rainbow Colored Glasses, a podcast that looks at LGBT media of the past and asks what it means today. I'm Paul. My guests are Nick and Sherry, and we're discussing a Swedish film from 1950 titled Girl with Hyacinths. I'm giving a spoiler warning and a trigger warning. An author investigates the suicide of a young woman named Dagmar Brink. He interviews her father, ex-husband, and subsequent boyfriends. Their stories give us glimpses of her life and paint a grim picture of post-war Sweden. Meanwhile, the author's wife learns that Dagmar never got over her feelings for someone named Alex. Sherry, what were your first impressions of this film?
1: I would say that it it reminded me a lot of Trifles by Susan Glaspell. Kind of the same premise. Yeah.
0: Nick, Nick, what did you think of the story? Could you follow it? I could. I heard I got to give a shout out. My first
2: play in college, I was in Trifles.
1: Oh, oh hey, Nick. Well. Okay. Um,
2: uh, I, I, could, I could follow this along. I, I will admit, once it was over, I immediately started it again. And I, I wanted to watch, watch the first ten minutes because I felt. I don't. I. I. I was clear, but I just looked, maybe I missed something. And you know, it's like maybe watching a foreign film. It takes a takes a few beats for me to get into it. Uh, so I went, but I. I could follow it. Yeah, it was very engaging. I really liked actually the cinematography. Like as mm-hmm. old as this film was, if you think of that shot where you find out that she's hunk herself, spoiler, and it just it's so beautiful. It's it just zooms up and it just shows the shadow and. At first it's let me just nerd out for a second. It shows that nurse or whatever coming to the house. She walks by a truck full of dead pigs, walks by that, walks up, goes about her business, and the camera just zooms up past the shadow, and you just see her legs into the door. And it was just little things like that. I was like, oh wow, there's so much thought that you would even movies nowadays don't put that much into. So I, I was really blown away with that.
0: The director and writer Hesse Ekman, he was one of Sweden's star directors. This was earlier in his career, but it really was a celebrated work. And I've heard it compared to, I've heard the opening sequence compared to Alfred Hitchcock. I've heard the film as a whole compared to uh, Citizen Kane by Orson Welles because of the structure. I do feel like he makes the city of Stockholm look like such a lonely and desolate place it really reflects the way the characters are feeling
1: Mm. oh wow okay so
0: the big spoiler in the film is that alex was a woman there's more to the story but for a modern audience That's something we pick up on pretty quickly, whereas the characters in the story, with one exception, never figure that out. Mm -hmm.
1: I would say I love the idea, like, the first scene is the Ritz bar, and you see Dagmar, and then you return to the Ritz bar again at the end of the movie, and then you see the reveal of Alex. Everyone else has let her down, but she could always count on Alex. She felt like Alex was the one person who would, who would not let her down in her life. And then once Alex lets her down, then, you know, her life is crushed. And then, hence, she commits suicide. So um.
0: Now, I had to watch that scene a few times to pick up what exactly Alex had done. Were you, t- were you two able to pick up the subtext there?
1: Okay. I think I have. I think that her husband, when they were talking about Dagmar's former husband, the, the soldier, and he was talking about the letter that he, that was from Alex. Alex had run away to Paris and in the letter she said, you know, help me. I want to let you know I'm in Paris and Germany is invading. And that's the letter that Dagmar never got. So that's like a plot device because in the end I felt like you can kind of see Alex's resentment of Dagmar. And so Alex is saying, so she gets involved. She works for the Germans. She says, when you're knee deep in shit, well, you just have to do it. So I think that was part of it. And then also I think to add insult to injury is that last scene when Alex goes away and eventually sleeps with Willie willie borge the singer so she's kind of like a you know she's a flight i think she's a flight attendant in the end but she's also kind of a prostitute in the end and that's what really breaks dagmar's heart i feel
0: she does what she has to to survive Survive. and she resents she resents dagmar calling her out on it
1: yeah she calls dagmar like an innocent or you never had to get messy and um so there, there's that, that conflict between them.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I'll be the first. I missed all of that. I'm glad you guys showed me the ways. I, it all makes sense now. I just thought it was maybe because they couldn't be together or she was just bitter. And she's like, oh, I'm just, since we can't be together, I'm just going to go off with this guy. But man, yeah, you guys mm-hmm. got it heavy and I like it.
1: Mm-hmm. oh yeah that
2: makes a lot of sense
0: mm-hmm. well she never straight out says like yeah i worked for the nazis they kind of talk around it in their
1: mm-hmm. in their
0: conversation
1: yeah and
0: so that's why i had to go go back a few times <laughs> and mm-hmm. realize oh oh this is who she was working with in paris gotcha
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> boy mm-hmm. I, and i really forgot that the husband never gave her that letter so i was Yes. Missing that. Like, oh, yeah, well, I thought it was just maybe a simple love letter. But you're right, Sherry. Yeah, it was probably a lot more of that letter than we thought.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he never gave it to her. Mm-hmm. So,
2: she, so she sees Alex. She's mad. Okay.
1: That's – yes. That was my interpretation of it.
0: And disappointing men are quite the theme in this. I mean, Alex is really just the last straw because we've got the dad who – abandons her because she was the product of an affair we've got the the uptight husband who praises those efficient german soldiers and Mm -hmm. leaves her because he doesn't believe her when she says he's the only man she's ever loved
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then we spend a lot of time with the alcoholic artist that's almost a that's almost a film within a film by itself, what did Nick? What did you make of the artist character?
2: I loved him. He was my favorite, not character wise. He's obviously an awful person, but this guy was a young Val Kilmer to me, killing it. Um, it was yeah, it was all over the place with the milk and him coming back and finding a time when he was sober so he could be with him. Uh, you know, and then, he, and then he has that long monologue about their whole past and how he got clean for this time and wasn't a good painter. And it was her fault. So he had to go back to drinking. That's the only way he could be a good painter. Uh, And then he wouldn't give her the, he wouldn't sell the painting to him and he gave him a sketch. I just, I mean, it was all over the place, but I loved it. And he was an interesting thing because I clearly, I got the sense that they weren't sexual during their time. So it was almost like what was going on? Was he really just in love with his art in the bottle Like what was that relation to? They even had this normal Rockwell relationship for a while. She's setting up the tree and he was sober and then he threw it all to act. Um, And it made me think so much of her, like if he didn't get drunk again, was she just going to be happy with that guy? Was this just like a closeted person settling for this guy? You're right. It's a movie within a movie.
0: Sherry, what did you think Dagmar was getting out of that relationship with the artist?
1: Well, um, I feel like in the beginning, when when the with their meet cute, I'm using film terminology, meet cute. Um, I feel like they really bonded over loneliness. He recognized her loneliness, and he also, in the beginning, was very perceptive of her. With that painting scene, I thought was one of the the best scene, one of the best in the film. I really loved that scene when he could see all these things about her in the painting. So you almost think that there's hope there because he was perceptive at that moment. So I think that she married him because they also bonded over bad mothers or absent mothers. So they had that. So I do agree with you, Nick. I don't feel like it was a sexual relationship at all. I feel like they kind of recognize how each of them in a sense was a hopeless case and like kind of bonding together out of their loneliness and bad treatments from their respective moms. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it he was a bona fide alcoholic and how she, you know, she took steps to, you know, she couldn't treat herself, you know, as a lesbian, but she could see how she could help him as an alcoholic and like here, go to this doctor, you know, He's innovative. It's five, you know, five hundred chronos. And but he never wanted to get cured himself. So he just went ended up going back to the bottle. So that's kind of how I looked at it. I mean, it was clearly she clearly chose, like with these men, she chose deliberately dysfunctional relationships with these two men, like the painter and her first husband.
0: And <laughs> the third relationship with the singer as well. She sort of slips into this caregiver counselor mode with each of them mm-hmm. because the the singer she sees right away that he's ridiculous putting on his sort of playboy act with her but she she kind of quickly repositions herself in a bit of a therapist mode with him I feel like
1: yes she saw right through him she really did as I, you know I, as a player you know yeah mm-hmm.
0: and i don't know if she's a lesbian or bisexual, if she's got any, like you said, does she have any genuine attraction to these men or is she trying to force herself to be in that sort of relationship? Because, like you said, she kind of, she's in this unconventional relationship with this bohemian drunken artist, mm-hmm. but then she kind of tries to force it into this Norman Rockwell fantasy with the, at the, at the Christmas. She plans, Mm -hmm. and he resents it. He sees right through it. He says, "No, this this isn't us. This is this is some fantasy you've cooked up in your head of what you think normal looks like." (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like she. I think with the environment they live in, a very paternalistic heterosexual world, and and how I I feel like she is a bona fide lesbian. I, I don't feel like she's bi at all i I mean, I say that because I know you can probably make arguments either way, but I feel like um her being truly a lesbian actually makes the story more tragic than if she was by because I feel like as a lesbian, she was like it's like that square peg in a round hole where she deliberately, like I said, she gets in these relationships with her husband and the painter and you know, even the painter was talking about, we all knew this, this relationship was doomed from the start. But she deliberately chooses to be in those kinds of relationships. It, you know, she never chose men that even had half of a chance of it being successful. So that for me, I feel like that reinforces the fact that A, she is a bona fide lesbian. I think that and then you know i think it also harkens to the fact how much she loved alex like alex was her one true love was this woman so
2: i'd like to make it like a utopian society and think that she's pansexual i hope i'm not butchering this i believe that's when you just love the person and i just got i think maybe she was because they were young right when her and alex were together maybe in school or something so i thought maybe she just alex was just that first love that she never got over so she could see herself and she just society was like that she happened to be with men or these men were more drawn to her so it happened to be like that but just was romanticizing that she just never got over that high school crush
0: well that's a good segue then to another character let's talk about anders the author who takes on the role of detective he's her neighbor he gets the knock at the door from the police saying your neighbor is dead she's left you her few possessions and he very quickly becomes fascinated what do we what do we learn about him
2: well he he seems to be maybe a moocher off of this woman he just like only wants to write in bed maybe he has ideals of being this Hemingway type of writer and he quickly becomes obsessed with this, what he calls, I thought she was one in a thousand. Um, but I mean, I can purely relatable. I wasn't out of left field. He's sitting there, this woman he barely knows who lives across the hall. We can all live in an apartment and we realize we've never met some of these people who live next to us. They kill themselves and then they leave them everything. So he just needs to find out why. And this ominous note, I think that wraps up with it. And he has this wonderful wife who seems to put up with him and his ways and him being a writer, And been together, living there about three years. So I think that answers who he is pretty much.
1: I'm wondering if now you might correct me, but during the time period of 1950, I think for Dagmar, because Brits, Um, Anders' wife is married, is a married woman. I think Dagmar had to leave her possessions to the married couple. I don't think she had to leave, she could leave everything to Brit. I'm not sure what the legalities were in terms of possessions and married couples and so forth. So I think there's some of that. But I also think like Anders, I do agree with you, Nick. I think he's a Very much like an Ernest Hemingway, kind of a spoiled writer. You have his wife who, his wife already works a full-time job, by the way. I mean, she works at a publishing house. And then you see her, talk about inequality. You see her doing all the cleaning, all the, you know, she's cooking all the meals, She's servicing him as he's riding in in the bed. So you can see how this man, all he does is write. And you can tell he doesn't do anything to help with the the household. It's all on his wife. And, And I think for Anders, I think who prizes himself being a writer, I'm thinking he's thinking, ooh, a woman just killed herself. I think I'm wondering if there might be a good story. And so I feel like that's how... He starts off. And so I must say in the beginning, when he's looking at books and so forth, I thought that maybe he might be maybe a decent guy. But in the end, he disappoints me like every other man in this film. (laughs)
0: Well, he comes up with this idea that these men broke Dagmar's heart and that he's the only one who really understands who she is, Mm -hmm. which is a recurring theme throughout the piece, whereas at the same time his wife Brit, she has her own understanding of who Dagmar is, and she doesn't necessarily want to share it with Mm -hmm. her husband. She had a very private conversation with Dagmar. We learn the first time Dagmar – well, maybe not even the first, but the last time Dagmar tried to kill herself, Britt intervened, Mm -hmm. and Dagmar talked to Brit about Alex. Mm Mm-hmm. And Anders asks, why didn't you tell me this? And Britt says it was none of your business. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Which brings up an interesting point. Does Ander have any right to her story?
1: He wouldn't believe it if he heard it, I feel, at this point. I mean, I think the whole setup with this film is that these men are so... They live in their world where, you know, only heterosexual relationships exist and it it and i think they can't even conceive of the fact that women that there's lesbians or homosexuals or other ways of loving other people their minds are so square that their corners hurt you know what i'm saying and i think that if he heard the truth he he wouldn't believe it he couldn't hear it or if he did he would just explode because it would just just you know cuz they're so ingrained in terms of this heterosexual world that they live in
0: now on a flip side i will admit there was a moment in the middle of the film where i thought we were going to learn that brit and dagmar had had a fling we were all
2: yeah. hoping for that paul
0: yeah. just just because Britt was being so secretive i was like there's something more here there's something more to the story that Britt's still not telling us
2: <laughs> and who's to say after their encounter because she said it was when they first kind of moved in so she's had years. She has this thing. She witnesses her almost killing herself, saves her life, mm-hmm. cares for her. Has that very intimate moment when she hears about Alex, and then you tell me they didn't talk again for two and a half years. When she killed herself, no, come on.
0: <laughs> and in well, the end, it's Brit who puts the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um, she, it's Brit who guesses. Wait a minute. I I don't think Alex is a man and asks the mm-hmm. singer what was the name of the woman at the party.
1: Mm-hmm. And he says
0: Alexandra. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and she figures it out and right away her husband asks who 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 was that? Did he know did he know the name and she says no, he didn't. Mm-hmm. She keeps mm-hmm. that to herself.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Which I think is a very interesting way to end the story. So mm-hmm. Brit gets most of it the audience gets even more, and mm-hmm. poor detective Ander l- like a sad noir p i <laughs> mm-hmm. go goes home with nothing but his yeah,
1: well, th- I would say that Anders did serve a purpose that poor sod that that deluded writer it is the fact that see the thing is, I think it was important that Anders was the detective versus his wife because the thing is is that what Anders can do that his wife couldn't do is he he could infiltrate, I'm going to call it the old boys club where he can have these private conversations with the painter and the singer and um, the banker where these men can, they're going to let their guard down and then they're going to tell the truth of, of, you know, the relationships and so forth. And what happens is Anders comes back and he kind of relays that information to his wife. His wife would not be able to get the same information that Anders did. So I feel like Anders served a purpose, you see.
0: She's and playing the Miss Marple role. Miss Marple is. always sent her nephew out to do mm-hmm. the interviews.
1: Yeah, because yeah. you knew, right? Because that's, that's the whole thing. You know, no one would take you, would they take Brit seriously if she was detective in your round? I don't think so. So mm-hmm. you, you have a source, they come back, they report to you, and then you put it all together, which, you know, I love stories like that anyway. So, mm-hmm. So,
0: a quick glance at the history of l g b t rights in Sweden tells me that they have always been ahead of the curve same sex activity was legalized in nineteen forty four so six years before this film it doesn't stop doesn't stop the sort of day to day prejudice that l g b t people would have faced in. The time when this film was set, but they're not dealing with the sort of legal stresses that folks in the UK and in Germany and elsewhere in the world would have been facing. So, well, they say they say they all say something like there was something strange about that girl. There was something odd about that girl. There was something very lesbian about that girl, except they never
1: <laughs> they, they never
0: quite connect that last dog.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. They they keep saying those things. Yeah, hard to figure out. Dagmar's husband said she was different. She was hard to get close to. I mean, I think Dagmar just had to live her life. Like if it was like a poker game, Dagmar had to keep her cards close to her chest kind of thing in order to live her life, you know. Mm-hmm. So, But then again, you have these people that are so self-absorbed to begin with. <laughs> That they probably were not even listening to her when she was telling the truth the entire time. But then they're, you know, they're just, oh, my art. I need to paint. I need to be an alcoholic in order to paint, you know. So obviously you are off the deep end here.
0: So, Nick, you said you would have liked to have seen this film with a clean slate. If you were going to recommend this film to somebody, how would you describe it? How much how much would you share? Ooh.
2: Well I, I wrote here I would I would recommend it. What was my quote? I would recommend it straight people who love law and order. That was that's my selling point. I want someone to, <laughs> someone to watch like that. I yeah, I guess I would kind of do it as a slight um mystery noir, a, a who done it to uh, I guess a why done it. As Sherry said I like an, a, mm-hmm. a film noir of a why something occurred. mm mm-hmm. Mhm that's sim- cinematically really uh, beautiful to watch but i think that and i would leave a little ellipsis because i would want them to to know i'm i'm suggesting this movie because i i'm curious what you think of it curious what what you caught out of it what you were able
0: to pick up mm-hmm. sherry who would you recommend this film to and how
1: you know i i would recommend yeah i think leaning to what nick's saying people who already enjoy film noir mysteries, you know, a why done it kind of thing, I think would be of interest to them. And I think I would to give them the best possibility is maybe to say as little as possible. So, so they do, they could maybe start off on a clean slate. So they wouldn't have, they maybe not even have any idea that this is an LGBT plus themed movie. So, might even test their listening skills kind of thing you know yes so that's my that's my thought yeah
2: I, I i really was fixated on the title for a while and why is it i mean i think it just trans it, it's a particular flower right it's not just girl with flower and i did yeah. some brief looking i i i didn't gather why it was that flower i don't know if there was any deeper meaning if you picked up you guys have any is is that a gay flower
1: what am i the hyacinth the hyacinth
0: also known as the lesbian flower in the original greek (laughs) first bred on the island of lesbos no i'm sorry i don't know uh, it wouldn't surprise me
1: (laughs) you're right nick it's a lesbian flower (laughs) something with that flower very
0: lesbian to our listeners i'm going to recommend a documentary called prejudice and pride swedish queer film Released last year toward the film festivals, and it journeys through a century of queer representation in Swedish cinema
1: Ah okay
0: uh, I want to thank you both for watching this film for discussing it with me. It was such a thrill to share this one because this was definitely a hidden gem as far as as far as us in the u s go in Sweden, they know it of course, but over mm-hmm. here it just it hasn't had the attention it deserves.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, no, thank you, Paul. Yes. I'm lucky if I I find an American film that's even half as intelligent as the one that we saw. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for listening to Rainbow Colored Glasses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. The music you're listening to is Squares, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review.
1: We'll see you next time.